Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press, focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host, podcast producer, and sports writer for LSJ, joined by two of my fellow State Journal cohorts, sports columnist Graham Couch and sports storyteller Nate Atkins. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing this afternoon? Great. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Great. <laughs> it's going. It's week four. We're still alive. So that's, uh, that's a plus. Ooh. But it's uh, it's or week five, I guess. Yeah, I was gonna say tomorrow. week week five. That's a that's, that's, yeah, that's you gotta that's, have the right week. That's a bad start. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> that's where that's where we are on this. That's where we are on this Thursday afternoon. We're at the well, we're at thirty three percent of the way through the season, and now we're kind of hitting the middle part here until until we get to the finish. This, I always find this incredibly scary. Like, and and less so as I become an adult, and I'm less my happiness is less tied to football season existing. But uh, like. You wait all year for football, and then, like, in two weeks, it's halfway through the season. You're almost done with it. Like, it, it, it's depressing. It's it's almost depressing it, it, how quickly the football season goes relative to everybody else. I remember when they used to come up with these rules. They were like, well, we're going to have the clock run uh, – or, st- or sorry, run after they go out of bounds unless it's inside two minutes. They wanted to speed up the game. Why would you speed up football? Like, I mean, it's it's not necessarily my favorite sport, but it's it's still pretty awesome and it's short. Like, there are lots of things in life to speed up, to get over with, to have less of. Not football. If, if Why would you ever, like, the clock should stop every time somebody gets a first down, every time they go out of bounds. If it's four hours, it's four hours. Add a week, whatever it is. You don't want less football. The season's almost halfway over. We're almost well, back to the doldrums of summer. I don't know. Not not for not for me on the four four and a half hour games, but uh, but I under yeah. but I do understand the sentiment uh, where you're coming where you're coming from with that. Yeah, I'm I'm with Phil on that. I'm uh, I'm okay with fewer concussions and fewer plays in games, but I do understand where you're coming from, and I know that wasn't the point you were trying to make. And to that <laughs> you bring point, up the Phil, concussions. You maximize, to maximize twelve weeks, maybe don't schedule one of them against you know schools like Youngstown State. So. Um, schools kind of do it to themselves, getting football season over quicker than it really needs to be. Shots fired at the schedule makers. Wow! Uh, <laughs> Although you, it really you you can't play twelve high majors in a season. You just you can't do it and be physically right. So you got to play a mid major or two in there. That's I that's mean, the NFL sure. plays seventeen of them, so I think it can be done. Right, and by the end of the year, their best teams are. It's like like when you look at the roster now, I don't even know how they motivate their players because ninety percent of those guys are going to be hurt by the playoffs. It's like. Just the quarterback who's left and a bunch of guys they picked up midseason. The um, no, I, I no, I'm 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 with you, and, and it's one of the things that'll be interesting with the ACC Big Ten challenge, or sorry, the ACC uh, uh, Pac-12 alliance with the Big Ten. Is that's an administrator-driven thing, but they, if they have enough coaches and former players and people, you you just you can't play if you've got a 12-game season. You can't play even. 
um, every year, 11 high majors smartly. Now, Michigan State is doing it this year, but it, it, it wears on you. And, and I've had coaches tell me that forever. It, it, you, you get hit differently in some of these games than you do in others. And, and if you go back to back to back to back, um, yeah, that can be, can be pretty brutal. So I'm all for bye weeks, two bye weeks, baby. That'll solve a lot of problems. The NFL somehow added a game and they didn't add a bye week. So <laughs> that's on them. Before we uh, get into the discussion here, we uh, just want to let everybody know we were recording on a Thursday afternoon here. It's about uh, 3.30, and I am sad to report that we have convened on Microsoft Teams, and we are not on someone's back patio smoking stogies and looking at our phone uh, while doing it at the same time. So no one can have that mental image of the three of us just uh, enjoying our best lives out there. I don't think anybody's ever had that image of the three of us, Phil. <laughs> Well, yeah, that, like I said, they're, they're lucky it's a podcast, not a video. So let's <laughs> not torture them too much. But now maybe maybe that's an idea for next time. Maybe before it gets cold here, just meet up on uh, Grimm's backyard or something around the fire pit with some stogies and just do it that way. Yeah. To- toast to Mel Tucker. That That is, yes. That is, of course, in reference to the photo Mel Tucker posted on Twitter uh, Wednesday evening after the Spartans secured the commitment of a four-star uh, athlete Dylan Tatum. Uh, this is another four-star recruit that the Spartans have secured for this 2022 class, and they're really kind of rising up the the national rankings here. Uh, I think they're in the somewhere between 10 and 15, maybe 10, maybe 17th in the national rankings at this point. And that's a a pretty big step up here for Mel Tucker. Nate, uh, what did you think of the Spartans uh, landing landing Tatum? Well, when that was going on, my power was out, and I was also <laughs> trying to rush through and write about Kenneth Walker, and so I forgot that he was even committing until. Until um, I just saw everyone freaking out about it, so I haven't looked into that one a ton. But I mean, that's just kind of the the heater they're on right now. When you kind of combine not only what they're doing on recruiting, but what they're already doing in the transfer portal. Like one advantage to doing it the way they're doing it with guys like Kenneth Walker and Ronald Williams and Chester Kimbrough, is they're bringing in these guys and showing right away that we can use you better than someone else used you. And these are conversations they're able to have at certain positions, like running back now, which they obviously were not able to do last year. They were able to do that at cornerback. Um, I think at linebacker a little bit with Quaveris Crouch. Um, the more that they do this with guys, even if they're transfers, which obviously is not the same thing as, as high school, you're still able to show people like we're going to use you to what you can do and build systems around you rather than kind of waste your talent like what, what some schools run into. And so I, I think they're just kind of on a heater right now with as a team that's 4-0 and working with guys that they just had show up um, this spring. And, and so they're going to try and keep it going. And, and you want to, you know, he's at this stage too, and it helps when you're winning early. And, and, and I don't know to what degree they needed to win this year for this because he's still at a stage where you can sell the dream, right? Last year was a COVID year. It's their first, you know, first year recruiting with in normal ways a little bit. And, and so I think that's, you know, this is, this is the time where you have to set the tone in that. And, you know, I thought in terms of judging Mel Tucker's tenure, the on-field stuff was a lot less important than the recruiting stuff at this, at this stage. And, and obviously I, I think both have been, you know, high marks because yes, they're winning the on-field, but I think what you're seeing on field is they're not losing in stupid ways. You know, you think back to the John L. Smith era and they had some talent in that era. But they lost in dumb ways, right? They're 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 focused, they're disciplined, they're they're not beating themselves like Nebraska beat themselves, like Miami at times beat themselves. They're doing the things that other other teams don't. And, and in terms of the recruiting class, you know, it's already 
if 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 all this holds the best group of most four stars since 2016 and, and people will go ha 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 2016 that was a disastrous class it was a disastrous class but that doesn't mean you don't get back on the horse and try to recruit 10 four stars it, it's it's still the path um the other thing that i think is important that nate brought up with showing transfers that you can use them well and, and things of that nature is is just how much a mix of it is it's not like and, and i've said this before all the guys who are there are already are being replaced so in terms of team chemistry and yeah you do see some guys transferring out to get beat the Kalen Gerben, the chase Kleins of the world um but also cal halliday who's the guy lining up next to Quiveris crouch is a unheralded late d'antonio era guy and there's no sign from tucker's crew that hey we've got to have our guys you know they'll play whoever the best dude is halliday wasn't on any of our radars coming into this season right look at the quarterback position they bring in russo they go with thorn and i and i think those sort of things are really important when you have this culture that's largely transfers in terms of guys feeling like no they're just they're just playing the dudes and it doesn't matter who i came in for and that because that was also a question for me when you had all these transfers is what does that do to the culture of a program? What does that does it change who you are too much? And and I think they've to this point avoided that by, you know, it's a pretty good mix. I think last year they did have some of those culture issues. If we're being honest, I mean that last year was hard to kind of implement these ideas beyond just kind of platitudes. And and all of a sudden they're at the point where they're in the season and he's. Mel's not very happy with what certain guys are able to do or willing to do. And um, in, in kind of he's ramping up that meter of we're going to bring transfers in to replace you. And I think there was this this fear kind of spreading around of like, well, you know, we're not his guys. So he's going to he's going to go get his own guys. But he's also showing in some ways, to your point, that you can you can be the last regime's guys and maybe he'll use you in a way they didn't use you before, like a guy like Connor Hayward, who was you know, always a running back under Mark D'Antonio. All of a sudden now he's a tight end and he's he's using his hands in the open field. And um, so he, he just wants you to, to, to kind of hit your max potential for whatever you are within this program. For some guys, that's not going to be enough. Like we saw with the transfers this week, a guy like Kalen Gervin was one of the better recruits of D'Antonio, D'Antonio's last couple of years. And all of a sudden he's fallen down the depth chart because stylistically a 5'9 corner is not what Mel Tucker's really looking to play in that style of defense. He wants the Ronald Williams 6'2 types or guys who are at least taller and more physical. So some guys do get lost along the way, but it still comes down to who can best you know, bring the best mix of attributes, skill, ability, and hit their ceiling. And if you can do that, whether you're his guy or the last guy's players, you know, you're going to play. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that – I mean, ideally I think they would like bigger corners, but Chuck Brantley – is not a is not a big dude, and they, they you know they they like him a lot, and and obviously a freshman who's playing. I think Gervin's problem was that at Miami he he missed some tackles and he lost his spot a little bit, and and so you you get the chance to perform. And look, I don't blame guys to leave either. If you're a red shirt, if you're a fourth year junior, this should be a performance time. And if you find yourself as a backup, and you sense your time in college football is going, uh, you know I I think it's perfectly okay to transfer and to find a better spot for yourself. You know, and Chase Klein, and I, I do think this will be a little bit of an issue for uh, Scotty Hazelton and Mel Tucker. They play a defense with two backers. And so I will be very interested to see how they recruit that position over time. Because I, I do, while I do think if you can land four and five-star guys, 
they're always going to think they can play. That's a good fit, whatever. I think if you're a kid who's like, I think I can work myself onto the field there, and Cal Halliday's done it with just two of them playing at a time, there's also a look of like, wait a sec, there's not a lot of room for a linebackers in that program. And so do I really want to, do I really want to be there? And, and, you know, Chase Klein is, is a decent player. I had a sack in the last game. And if you were playing, you know, a, a three linebacker set, maybe he would be on the field a lot more. And so I think, I think that is a position too, where if you, you know, it's just like all the fullbacks when John L. Smith showed up and, and I wasn't covering the team then, but I remember reading articles about, you know, and Brian Kelly did this too when, uh, he took over for D'Antonio at Cincinnati. He said, well, we don't have a, a fullback in our offense. And they got like four scholarship dudes on the roster. And if you're one of those guys, you either figure, I got to play a different position. If I want to be here. I got to go somewhere else. If you're a linebacker um, who's not one of the main guys, there are just fewer opportunities to get on the field. And I don't blame anybody for leaving. Yeah, it just shifts because while there's fewer linebacker opportunities, there's arguably more defensive linemen and offensive line possibilities. You know, guy like Luke, yeah, guy like Luke Campbell might be completely lost in another setting where they don't want to rotate in offensive linemen and they just, you know, they just want their five and that's their five defensive line. I mean, it feels like anybody who is uh, talented and can contribute on the defensive line is going to get there. We just talked to Simeon Barrow this week who, you know, he opted out last year and, and, you know, felt like he was a little scared that he would fall behind the pecking order because he wasn't here last year. And, you know, does this coaching staff want him? And all of a sudden he's starting there because he's showing what he can do. And starting is relative because you rotate a lot. But there, there's room for guys at positions like that. And the trade-off is there's not at positions like linebacker. So it's just, it is going to be interesting to see how that, that shifts the, and, you know, makes the roster a little different uh, as Mel Tucker keeps going. Yeah, and you've got uh, Noah Harvey, the guy who started at linebacker last year, and now he is not the starter. So you've got that linebacker depth already, which is probably why Klein left. And then you have uh, now Teote, who is seeing some special teams time, and I got to believe they're they're pretty high on him, especially considering he is a uh, Tucker recruit. But you know, having said that about the Tucker recruits, there is there was a third player that left the Michigan State program in the class week, and that was a, a defensive end at the same position. Uh, Simeon Barrow plays at Alex Acello, and that happened before the game while the other two happened after the game. So we are, like you guys have been talking about, we are seeing some attrition within the roster at this point. But I think I don't think anybody's too sad about the results so far with with all of this. No, I mean, they're, they're 4-0. And, and I think last week's result was the best thing that could have happened to them. And I'll say this, like, and, and, and the same thing goes for Michigan, frankly, because both programs had this sort of start where people were getting a little, little ahead of themselves, I think a little bit. And, and I'm not saying that Michigan state's fan base was unrealistic. I think going into the season, a lot of people had very, very modest expectations, but all of a sudden you have a finish like they had at Miami and you go, wait a second, you know, and you see some struggles around the country. Maybe this can be a really special year and I'm not saying it can't be, but when you get outplayed at the line of scrimmage in certain ways and you need some real good fortune, and they created some of that good force in North and Nebraska blew it. I'm not saying it was, but so I'm not saying it wasn't a deserved win, but I think people left that game going, okay, it, it's still a work in progress. They can't just run the ball easily against anybody. Peyton Thorne is not a finished product. Like all these things that sort of reset expectations, which are important to enjoying the small victories in a season like this, um, I, I think are incredibly important. And, and I, I think that coming out of that last week, I think it helps this game. You know, this was a game that was a 
it could it can be a trap, difficult game for you against Western Kentucky if you're a little full of yourself. But all of a sudden, there's you know that offense has to reef, you know, has to find itself again. And there's some things that the the defense is looking at this guy who's almost leading the nation and passing. And so there's there's that motivation. I, I remember once watching when I covered Western Michigan. If you want to take a drink here and lived in Kalamazoo for anybody who's uh, keep track. Uh, David Cool, who was the Michigan Mr. Basketball, was their star player, and they were playing at Illinois. And Cool was averaging like 23 a game, and Illinois beat the daylights out of those that team. And the team did not have a lot of options besides Cool. And I asked, uh, I think it was uh, it was the Paul kid who was the um, star at Illinois at that time after the game, like what they looked at with Cool because they shut him down, and they were like, "We see he's averaging 23 points a game." He's not doing that to us. And so I think when you have a quarterback who's averaging 408 yards a game and is having great success, if you're a secondary, if you're a defense, it doesn't matter the Western Kentucky, you can that, that can be a challenge that's posed to you that that, that certainly certainly helps. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things play out when you consider that very physical game, grind out style game, and now they're gonna come back at home and try and rev up for this Western Kentucky team that's going to try and run a bazillion plays and, and make Graham all happy because they're going to you know slow down, or, or I should say they, they will not slow down football. They'll keep it going, and we may be there till uh, 6 in the morning and make you really happy. So, um, But it'll be interesting to see how they kind of keep up with that because you know, there's certain casualties that come along the way. Drew Beasley getting injured, I think, is a problem against a team like this that, um, that gets the ball out so quickly and you need someone to win – um, pretty early in the down and just do anything to throw them off this rhythm of this this air raid attack that they're bringing from the Texas Tech model. So, and, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see how they work it out. And I'll say this to the, the point of wanting football to slow down. A lot of that has become entirely three-quick take related. Like, I need time on those three-quick <laughs> takes. I love long timeouts. I used to hate when the guy came out in the, the little red jacket for the TV timeouts. I'm rooting for that guy on every single play late in the game. The last thing I need is a six-minute, uh, the final six minutes of the game that actually takes six minutes. That that that, that doesn't mean no good in, in in any scenario. So that that's it's partly uh, selfish reasons. I, the, I can vouch for that because I was sitting next to you when uh, Nebraska and Michigan State are coming down to the wire, and you're just praying for overtime. And I was updating you. You're, like, you're going to get overtime. You can take a breath here. Well, thank you, thank you. I was very, very pleased to see that overtime happened. I, I needed, I needed the extra, extra few minutes. The other thing about this game that I, I find interesting is there's a lot of talk that this could be, you know, this is a legitimate mid-major off, you know, a, a challenge, legitimate challenge, so to speak. I also think that, like, I mean, an Army is a good team, and the Western Kentucky lost to Army, which, by the way, Army is a seven and a half point favorite at Ball State this week. Uh, that is my lock of the week right wow. there at Phil's Ball State wow. team. So if you're looking for a game. Shots fired, but I, but I can't even yell at you because we've been uh, so disappointing this year after last year's MAC title and, and bowl game went over a ranked San Jose State team. It's been it's been a bad year for the Cardinals. Yeah, you guys are awful. There's no, there's no question about it. Yeah, I love that Western Kentucky played Army. I mean, you got the triple option against the Air Raid. That is fascinating. I need to go back and watch that game. Well, it, it, it's it's also tough on the stats, right? Like, so to to know what Western Kentucky is defensively is a little tricky because Indiana threw the ball a lot more than they ran it, and they only gave up 124 yards. Notre Dame only threw, or Notre Dame Army only threw nine passes against Western Kentucky, I think it was, and if that, and 
So their passing defense looks better than it is. Like, so you don't actually know what's what. They, and they also had a bye week, and then they played a one double A. So they, they, you know, their, their stats are not really all that relevant to what they've done so far defensively. Who they are offensively, I think, is is, is legit. But I also think defensively, you look at the number of yards they gave up to Indiana, the number of yards they gave up on the ground to Army, which Army challenges you that way. I think this is a week that Michigan State can get itself right offensively and get going again and, and get that running game going and, and make sure that they don't lose confidence in what they were building. Cause that, that second half last week was, was, was rough and, and it was rough about Peyton Thorne. I thought it was Jay Johnson maybe didn't have his best half, but when you went back through it, that there was not a lot of play calling that had anything to do with that. There was one short side jet sweep that I don't know why that's still allowed knee slancing, but, it, but uh, they, they did it with Jaden Reed and it only went for two yards. But Peyton Thorne missed a number of guys, and 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 then you had the first time that the, the the offensive line couldn't protect and couldn't run. That's a hard situation to call plays into when your quarterback's missing targets and he missed a number of them. Your offensive line can't protect him, and you can't get a run. You know, like what's the play there? What I mean, I, I don't, I don't. Know. Is it the triple option flea flicker, uh, the fumble ruski? Like I don't know what you go to if you can't. Um, if you're just not, if your quarterback's missing, well, yeah, they went. Me, to, they went to me. two things. They went to well, they had the flea flicker that already worked uh, in in the first half for a touchdown, and then uh, uh, the play where Nebraska's punter kicks it uh, the exact opposite way of where all of his teammates are running. So that's how that's the recipe for success for Michigan State. <laughs> I was gonna say they have a quota of one flea flicker game, so yes. they already used that in the first half, so they couldn't go back to it. That it didn't work. It worked only because it was actually much better executed this time than the first time. Like if you watch the flea, watch the flea flicker back, Kenneth Walker does not sell it anywhere near. So like no. it's like he barely gets the ball. And he's like, oh, I have it back. This is clearly. I mean, and so I, I know the defenders stumbled a little bit, but it just took a, and and Thorne had somebody in his face. That was actually the best pass and catch play executed of the, of the game because he hit him on a dime and 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 he did it with somebody in his face. And it was ju- it was just a really well executed play by by uh, him and Reed, and that's why that worked. It had a lot less to do with the actual trickeration itself. Yeah, well, this matchup isn't quite Army in the triple option against Western Kentucky, but it is interesting. You know, Kenneth Walker leads the nation with 554 rushing yards. The Western Kentucky leading rusher has 82 yards. <laughs> so he has uh, what is it like a doing the math right he is what a third of what kenneth walker had against northwestern but you know they throw all day long what's also funny though is western Kentucky still has two rushing touchdowns which is more than michigan state had all of last year so (laughs) michigan state knows what it's like to live in a world where you have a running game that nobody pays any attention to or has to pay any attention to that's where western kentucky's going to be but that's kind of where they want to be because they're just going to spread you out and have five wide and i mean they've got Multiple touchdown passes to five different wide receivers. So um, this is how they want to live, and they want to see, do you have enough to disrupt us? Indiana last week did not. They had one sack and zero turnovers forced. They just had enough offense to survive them on the road. So it'll be interesting to see if Michigan State, without Drew Beasley, can they throw them off their game at all, or is this going to be just kind of a shootout where you have to hope that the Kenneth Walker, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed trio ends up being too much talent for this uh, mid-major to handle? Yeah, I, I, and I think the matchup for Michigan State is actually pretty good in the d- defensively because what, what you have is well, Michigan State's strength on defense to me is its safeties and, and how they tackle and their willingness to give up yards 
but keep you in front of them. And I think it'll be interesting to see if they keep are willing to do that. And if they are, I, I think this is probably an offense that, yes, it'll move the ball some. It will have a big player to – it'll score some. You're not looking to win in a shutout. Um, but I, you know, I, I also think that, that, that that's not their, the path to beat Michigan State necessarily. And, you know, MSU's offense – I mean, even if you look at the Indiana game last week, it was 33-31, but Indiana was up nine on the road in the fourth. They only had 24 points still very late at home against Indiana. So for a team that, that's a shootout team – uh, you know, it wasn't like they just were up and down the field just, you know, with, with Indiana. So I, I, I am, I do think, you know, look, I've covered a zillion of these mid-major games from both sides, and you can get too caught up in this is a really good mid-major, they've got a chance. But unlike college basketball where you get a couple of good guards and a three-point shooter and you got trouble, the line of scrimmage still matters. And and Michigan State's been pretty good on the line of scrimmage. They're much improved. And I, and I think that that is uh, the reason they'll win this game. And, and you know, do they cover the 10 and a half, the, the spread? I don't know, but I, I, I am going to pick them by, I think, probably exactly two touchdowns or something. I, I think they will. Um, you know, what you don't want to do, and this is the key for Michigan State, because they have been so good at not beating themselves and not turning the ball over. Even when Peyton Thorne was awful last week, outside of that first, in the second half, I should say, outside of that first, he was really good for a while in the first half. Uh, outside of that first pick that he threw at deep ball, you know, he didn't – he gave him a chance. He didn't, like, throw an interception. He didn't do anything really stupid. I mean, they were allowed, they allowed to punter in defense and kick return to win it. And so the question is, what you don't want to do is be up six, punting or turning it over to this team that has some confidence and needing to stop them. You want to make sure – to me, if you're Michigan State – you want to play a game where you're always a score plus ahead against these guys when they have the ball. And, 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 and I think they can play that game. Yeah. Well, they definitely have to avoid a situation like last week where they go an entire half without a first down. I mean, first of all, that's obviously not a winning formula anyway, but especially against a team that's going to hurry up and run this many plays on you when you don't have Drew Beasley out there. I mean, this is the spot where they, they, they need the Kenneth Walker uh, the Kenneth Walker bounce back. And I think they'll get it because um, West Kentucky just doesn't, doesn't quite have the defense to, to handle a guy like that. I mean, he's, he's even though one of his offers coming out of school was a team in their conference, old dominion, and he could be there if wake forest hadn't come at the last second. I mean, he's way too good for a team like this to handle. And I think we're going to see that more than we saw last week against Nebraska. If Western Kentucky's going to win this game, I think it's because they have to disrupt on defense, the line of scrimmage, you know, they've got a guy uh, on the defensive line, D'Angelo Malone, who was the Conference USA Player of the Year last year, just hasn't really gotten going this year. But that's they're going to have to use some of the Nebraska formula of really kind of getting Peyton Thorne's head a little bit, rush these throws, get him to miss, and get that defense back on the field and get tired again. Is is if if they're going to do this, it's it's going to have to be a shootout, but it's also going to have to be a game where they force Peyton Thorne to play his role in that shootout and it doesn't go as well as uh, you know Michigan State wants. Nebraska was so disciplined last week against Kenneth Walker, eliminating cutback lanes, you know, not letting him, you know, get 
break arm tackles and whatnot. And I just don't think Western Kentucky has the players on defense and Nebraska has to be able to do that both tackling wise and responsibility wise. Uh, Graham, I want to come back to something you said a couple minutes ago about the safeties. Uh, we probably didn't talk enough about Xavier Henderson. Uh, he had 17 tackles in that game versus Nebraska. And if anybody read the athletic story that came out on Thursday by Nick Baumgartner, he kind of detailed like three or four plays on the second half where Henderson basically saved Michigan state's hide from, you know, making that worse. And instead of, only being down you know three or six points they could have been down a couple touchdowns and that game would have been would have been over yeah no he, he he's an nfl safety i think i'm more and more convinced of that mm-hmm. and i need to talk to some some nfl folks about him but I, I think he's you know he's such a sure tackler um and and that's you know obviously safeties have to have a lot of different abilities to to make it in the league a long time uh you know kari willis certainly had had those but it begins with tackling in space and and being a guy that can get places and make up for mistakes that your your defense makes and and he has been that and and uh, look he's been a captain every week and they, they name individual captains every week he's a guy who just I mean he's the key and and it is as good as they are at safety like with I, I think Angelo Gross is a really good young player I think uh, Darius Snow is a really good young player also tackles well in space this team from a depth perspective and every team has guys you can't afford to lose but Xavier Henderson's one of those guys that I think. The whole defense would feel a lot less sure of itself if it's not out there. And, they, you know, those, those guys exist, I guess, on, on most defenses. Uh, but he has been uh, he's been fantastic. Yeah, I think he's the most underrated player on this team. I think he if you're talking about who's the best player on the team, I mean, at this point, you probably have to say Kenneth Walker. But I think he might be number two because of all those reasons and just kind of the intangibles he brings to a defense that's really remade. I mean, if you look at the guys on this defense outside of that spot, I mean, you know, you got a guy like Angelo Gross who's who's still pretty inexperienced, but he brings out the best of him because you get to play next to Xavier Henderson and especially especially inexperienced now that you got a 24-year-old like Drew Beasley who's not who's not able to play. But what he's really doing, Xavier Henderson, is he's bringing out the best in these cornerbacks, and he's letting them gamble and live dangerously in ways that you would not want to live if you didn't trust what was behind you at safety. You know, you can they've given up some decently long passes as they've gambled a little bit in press and whatnot. Um, the style of defense Mel likes to play, but they haven't gone for long touchdowns. Against Northwestern, they would give up a long pass but they always were able to get the guy down. And what you do is you just make an offense, snap it more, block it more, you know, try to avoid penalties and turnovers. And the, the more you make them drive, um, you know, the more chances there are for it to go haywire. It'll be interesting this week because that's Western Kentucky's game plan is to run a million plays and to drive. And they're fine getting five, six yards of play, and they're not well, bored so let, doing let, that. So. Let me ask you a style you would do. So they played a couple different ways. You look at the Miami game and, and the, the – cushion that they gave and those corners and they did that saying it, we don't think you're going to beat us driving the field we don't think you're patient enough offensively to do this and they were right um and and i thought that was a really effective way no matter how much of a bruised ego it was to their defensive backs to, to be 10 yards off guys i'm wondering nate if you think they should play that style against these guys and and uh, I, I tend to think when to me the answer is if you think you're going to win at the line of scrimmage, and I think they will, then you want to play a game where you're avoiding the big play because you're going to win at the, the other key point. 
Yeah, it's tough because this version of Western Kentucky right now, they're not only that team that spreads it out and takes five yards of play, but their top two receivers average more than 15 yards a catch. Yep. So they're also guys who get the ball, and you don't just immediately get them down. And Indiana had problems with that is that they're able to catch it and turn five yards into into 12. I do think the safeties Michigan State has are going to make that a lot harder in Western Kentucky. Um, I think the best thing Michigan State's going to do is – uh, just rotate a lot of defensive linemen and get the freshest bodies you can get out there to try and win in you know less than less than two and a half seconds off the snap of the ball. It's going to be really hard because there will be some open windows there. But if they can, I think what's more likely is that they they play a little bit more aggressively in the secondary and they live with the occasional big play, knowing that you still have safeties to track it down. But you gamble a little bit in there and you can you can just make them run a lot of plays where they have to get the ball out just a little bit quicker you know that can lead to an interception or that can lead to you know a penalty or, or something that that gets them out of rhythm rather than just sit back and kind of accept a slow death I mean Nate you mentioned I use defensive line not really getting to the quarterback against Western Kentucky last week but we haven't like you both of you guys have said we have not seen that issue with Michigan State at all they got to Martinez a lot this weekend they got to Derek Queen a lot two weeks ago so I think that bodes well for for the Michigan State defense in terms of what they want to do strategically. It does, but those are two quarterbacks that also hold the ball a long time. They are mobile guys, but they also trust so much in their legs, and they're trying to be the heroes for those specific teams. They're trying to elevate everybody else in that offense, and at times it really worked for for Adrian Martinez when he was able to scramble and get out, but when he didn't have a scramble lane, turns into a a strip sack, and so – It'll be interesting if they can ever force uh, force this quarterback, Bailey Zapp, to do that because that's not the style of Western Kentucky. That's not the way they want to play. But if you get to a point where this team's trying to win five yards at a time down two scores, like Graham mentioned, if you can get them in enough of a hole to where they have to start to press things a little bit more, um, then you might be able to get some of those. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important. The, I mean, if, if you're – like you want to be in a in a comfortable place, like with these guys. You do, and 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 I think if you can, if they know, if if they know they have to score almost every time to keep pace, or most of the time, that that ramps up the pressure too. Now it's not that they haven't been in that situation. They were in a, a shootout with Army. They were in you know they were in a um, uh, this a similar situation where they had to score a lot against Indiana. But I do think that adds to something. Like it, it changes, you know. It, there's a pressure on every throw. You you can't miss the third and four. You can't. And and the other thing that's important to, and and, and I think this is a really legitimately good offense uh, and dangerous offense in the way in the passing game. But there's usually, and the reason mid majors don't usually win these games that often isn't. And and I, and I remember covering games where people would say, "Oh, that was that was bad luck. If this hadn't happened, Western Michigan would have beaten." Michigan or something like that and there were and sometimes it was true I remember covering a game where Michigan Western Michigan was up seven or was tied seven oh, we got seven. a drink again Kalamazoo yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're up anyway they're up they're up seven seven they're sorry they're tied seven seven going in to go up 14 seven they're like they're passing from the three yard line to go up and they've been moving up and down the field they had a pretty good offense they had a couple NFL uh borderline wideouts they had a good quarterback and Michigan was just okay but on the goal line, there's an interception that's tipped that gets returned the other way. Now they're down 14-7, and the game falls apart from there. And what happened, everybody goes, well, that doesn't happen. But the reason that happened was the junior college transfer guard 
for Western Michigan got pushed into the quarterback. And at Western Michigan, you're starting a junior college transfer guard who gets pushed into the quarterback. At Western Kentucky, you're often starting a junior college transfer guard who gets pushed into the quarterback. So, yes, if that doesn't happen, you might win. But there's usually a reason, and the talent gap somewhere bites you. And I think that's the thing that, that Western Kentucky it, it will always struggle to avoid in a game like this. They may have their, a quarterback who can play anywhere. They may have some wideouts who can play anywhere. They may have an offensive system that causes anybody problems. But ultimately, somewhere on that roster, you've got a weakness that's tough to overcome. And to that point, Western Kentucky took their quarterback, three wide receivers, and their offensive coordinator, all from Houston Baptist. And Houston Baptist last year challenged FBS teams pretty well. So it's not like like they have talent, they play well together, and that's let them hit the ground running. But it's a lot different to do that at Houston Baptist. And last week they played Indiana at home and in, in Western Kentucky than to go on the road and do that and to have to match another team score for score. And so this is where, you know, Mel kept talking last week about we need the woodshed to come alive. I think this week the woodshed or deep water, whatever we want to call Keep it. a straight face on the woodshed. It's yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a little tongue in cheek when I say that. Um, it's almost just as important this week because at some point they need to throw this team off rhythm. I think why Western Kentucky's looked so good so far as number one, you on offense is that you have, um, these players who play together and they can hit the ground running and they're always at home or, or not facing much of a crowd. They, they played at West Point for one game. And so it's like coaches talk about all the time. You want to go for it on at home if you're in like fourth and five because you don't fear the crowd noise. It's just kind of like playing practice with an opponent. But doing that on the road in a you know, you, you go from Houston Baptist to a Big Ten environment at night on homecoming. That's when some of this can get hard. And it may not happen all the time, but just a few plays a game. You know, like you mentioned, if you can make Western Michigan play or, or Western Kentucky play their worst for a few plays a game, that worst can turn into a pick six or a, a strip sack or something that they didn't see coming because they've not been in that situation before. All right, Graham, I know you have a heart out here. Do you guys want to talk hoops for a minute or two before we go to predictions? Or the, the interesting thing that just quickly that came out of hoops this this week was. Um, and, and they start practice, and, and people are going Saturday. They'll have a scrimmage after the women's scrimmage. I think the women start at 2.15, the men at 3.15 over at Breslin. And, and um, I, the, the, the interesting thing that developed over that was the idea that uh, Jaden Akins is not really part of the point guard mix. They're using him on the wing more, and I think he'll play a lot. The guy in, in uh, A.J. Hogard that everybody sort of wrote off is they're recruiting over him. He was – you know, he's going to be very much part of that mix. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays an awful lot. Um, and I think one of the things, and we're all guilty of this sometimes, but the expectations you have of a freshman. Think of a team Cleaves freshman year. I mean, the guy was pretty pretty average, and they went to the NIT. And, you know, Hogarth lost a lot of weight. He looks, you know, from what I've seen, he looks very engaged, very much more of a leader, very vocal. And I think he's going to be somebody who's, who's a major factor. Um, in, in the program this season and beyond. And, and so I think that was sort of the, the most interesting developed development to me. Izzo named his top seven or eight players, and uh, that doesn't include right now Pierre Brooks. But when you watch Brooks, and there was an open practice the other day, I mean, Brooks, Brooks is a 6'5", 225-pound man-child. Like, he's, he's going to be fine in college basketball. You know, he'll figure it out. Yeah, there's just sort of a jump in competition that Pierre Brooks is working through right now, going from 
you know, I watched him win the state title in the Breslin Center, but it's it's one of the lowest classes of basketball to what he's going to see in the Big Ten. It's just a much different um, style of offense he's going to have to play, knowing he can't just out jump people for an offensive board. But yeah, the one thing on Hogar I think is going to be interesting, and I thought about this with Gabe Brown too, is that. Izzo is not looking at – he's not judging who you are based on what you were last year alone because last year was so weird and so tough on so many guys. I mean, Gabe Brown played through COVID. Hogarth, as we know, he's in a he's just in a much different shape right now. And I can't imagine being a freshman last year, your first year away from, from home and being in that environment and trying to hit your stride. And, and then, you know, you just don't know what everyone's dealing with. And they're hoping if they can get back to a little bit of normalcy and a little bit of comfort, you can bring out what you liked in a guy before last year, which is obviously there's a reason they liked Hogarth and they're seeing a little bit more in practice than maybe we saw last season. Well, and I think that, you know, you think about uh, Hogard and stuff. I mean, that, there's a guy who should have come in, should have been able to play spot minutes, filled a little bit of role, and 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 gotten his feet wet. Instead, they didn't have a point guard. You know, the guy, Foster Lawyer, was the junior who probably should have been ready as a point guard just in terms of who you're recruiting and when, uh, where they were in their development. Uh, Rocket Watts was sort of, you know, didn't they just didn't make that work, and it didn't work. And so Hogard winds up having to play a role that, you know, maybe he's not entirely ready for it. So that's not his fault. Lots of guys. So I, I thought, I, I think that's interesting. So they'll be, they'll be interesting to watch. I think there's, I think Max Christie is going to be a starter. I think he's the real deal. And he's uh, the one freshman that they, that they mentioned is going to be in that top seven, which I found interesting, but it, I think it just goes to show that there are certain things that you can see translating very easily from high school to right away in, in college and his shot and the consistency of it and the depth of it. I mean, that'll work in a lot of gyms and they need it. They need it badly to get, get some of those outside shooting. It's probably been obviously outside of point guard play, but even going back since I got here two years ago, that's been one thing that's been missing for them on the perimeter. All right, let's move on to our final segment predictions for this Saturday's football game. Graham, you go first. Yeah, I, I do think the line of scrimmage offensively, I mean, both sides will, will go Michigan State's way. Um, and as long as they continue to be who they've been, and, and I'm talking about the discipline and the, the sort of the mature, organized game that they've played to this point, which is why they're 4-0, um, and opportunistic and all that stuff. If, they, if, if the traits that we've seen through four weeks continue – um, as long as what happened in the second half of that offense with Thorne isn't like some real, you know, real issue or something, I don't, I don't think it will be. Um, I, I think Michigan State wins by a couple scores. I'm going to say uh, uh, 41-27 MSU. I swear that was the exact score I was thinking in my <laughs> head just now. <laughs> so I'll say I'll say 42-28 just to be a little bit different. Wow. But I yeah. see it going just that way. I think it's going to be. I think you're going to get to halftime. There are going to be some nervous fans in there at just how, how much Western Kentucky is able to answer Michigan State. But that's only going to last for so long. And the, lot, the later you get in the game, the louder the crowd gets. And all of a sudden, Western Kentucky's got to match you know, what Kenneth Walker and Jaden Reed are doing you know, pound for pound. I think this ends up at some point being a game where Michigan State has the ball and they just kind of go in deep water mode and they, they just kind of outlast you and out-physical you in a way that Western Kentucky is not built to handle physically. So I think they win by two scores. Yeah, I'm not too far off from what you guys have said. I'm going to go 38-20 Spartans for, again, for all the same reasons you guys just said. 
All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at lsj.com, freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore couch, at Nate Atkins underscore, at Phil underscore friend, and at LSJ Green White. Thanks for listening. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.